I pray that is the prayer of your heart. You know, we always uh, sing that song for invitationals. We never sing it uh, just as a normal worship hymn. And so I'm glad we did that today. Let's look in uh, Matthew chapter 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 12, I'd invite you to open your Bible there. If you want to follow along in the Bible that is in the pew in front of you, you can find that on um, page 971 in the Bible in the pew in front of you, Matthew chapter 12. And uh, we're gonna go ahead and uh, read the text together. And I would, in, I would invite you to go ahead and stand and let's read this text just together from the board. Beginning in verse 31. 31. Do I have 32 there? Okay. Well, let me read 31 and we'll start on 32 together. It says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy of the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me tell you about a, a man by the name of, uh, we'll call him Joe Bob. Uh, the original name was changed to Steve, but we actually have a Steve in our services, so, uh, <laughs> so I don't want to give any confusion here. But, uh, but Joe Bob was a man that uh, came to a very frustrating point in his life, and, and you know how very often when you do that, uh, he was not a believer. This is prior to his coming to faith in Christ. And, but in this very challenging time in his life, he called out to the Lord, as many people often do, and he asked him to, to try and resolve the situation that was causing so many problems. Well, you can guess what happened. The Lord did not resolve it the way that Joe Bob wanted him to. And in a fit of rage and in a fit of, of desperation, he, he yelled out to God and he cursed God. And as he was relating this to a friend who was a Christian, this, uh, this gentleman was one of those who I'm sure we all know someone like this. He knew just enough Bible to be dangerous. And he told him that he had committed the unpardonable sin and therefore he could never be forgiven for doing that. And of course, later on, as the passage of time goes, uh, our friend Joe Bob, he, he did come to Christ and he did begin to be faithful in his life and, uh, and all of that. And yet that, 
that advice from that friend haunted him. And, and every time somebody mentioned the unpardonable sin, uh, he would get that butterfly in his stomach or that, that kind of surge of nervousness that, is this something that I have done? Is my salvation really a, a fake? Is it a fluke just to make me feel better because I can never be forgiven? Until finally he, he went to a pastor counselor and, and talked about it and and the counselor instructed him in a better way and, and eased his conscience. But beloved, maybe, uh, maybe you're like Joe Bob this morning. Maybe this is something that has concerned you over the years. Or, or maybe you know someone like Joe Bob who, who feels like they have committed an unpardonable sin. You know, I don't, I don't hear as much about this anymore because I, I don't have a lot to do in college or youth ministry, uh, which is where I would hear it mostly. But, you know, even sometimes in like uh, revivals and stuff like that, you'll, you'll meet people who are concerned that they have committed the unpardonable sin and so, and maybe you're here this morning and you are committing it. So really, there's a lot I wanna accomplish this morning. Uh, there's, there's kind of three things in particular. First of all, if you are someone like Joe Bob, I want to strengthen your conscience this morning by instructing you in the better way of, of what this is. But number two, if you know someone like this, I want to show you how you can minister to that person. And then, of course, finally, if you are someone who actually is committing this sin, I want to warn you of the consequences. And so, so I got a lot I want to accomplish this morning, and we're going to try to do it in the time allotted. So uh, if not, we may, we may move uh, some things to next week. But, you know, the thing is, is that if you're going to understand what the sin is, you've got to follow the, the entire argument of the context. And and, and that's what people tend to not do. In fact, in my Bible, there's actually a separation where right at verse 31, it says the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you would think that that is separated from the rest of the context, and it's not. In fact, you saw last week, beginning in verse 22, there are, there are some themes that we are kind of tracing all through throughout the rest of chapter 12. And uh, matter of fact, last week I had you underline in your Bible that theme of he spoke and then he saw, because you're gonna see that theme working itself out. Like right now we're talking about those who speak against Christ and not next week because that's Father's Day, but week after next we're gonna talk about those who want to see a sign from Christ out of their basically coming to Christ on their own terms. And so there's, there's a few different themes that we're following. And unless you understand the, how those themes are working themselves out, you're gonna get some wrong ideas of what the sin actually is. And so that's what I wanna do this morning. And essentially, the warning that I want to give all of you this morning is simply this. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. That is the theme of this entire section. And so we need to ask some questions. What is, what is the blasphemy of the Spirit? Is this something that we need to worry about today? You know, some theologians say that this sin really cannot even be committed today. Some of more the dispensational persuasion and those kind of things will say something like that. But I think that as we understand it, we're gonna see that this is something that we very much need to worry about. And it's very much we need to be actively ministering to help people to avoid. And so we're going to see that Matthew gives us three warnings this morning. And, and I, 
did not try to make them very fancy or anything, try to make them as memorable as possible. Basically, what it describes, what it confirms, and what it ensures. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. What it, we're gonna describe it, we're gonna show you what it reveals or confirms, and we're gonna tell you what future you can look forward to with it. So let's look this morning, beginning in verses 31, 32, we're gonna look at what this sin describes. What are we talking about here? We're gonna try to define it and tell you what it is. Beginning in verse 31, it says, therefore I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Now, uh, I wanna stop right there for a minute because blasphemy is a word that we often hear in church life. You know, and most of us in here kind of know what blasphemy means, sorta. You know, we use it all the time, but we never really think about it. We just kind of have an assumption of what it means. And so blasphemy is really kind of one of those words that is a, uh, that's a church word that you don't really hear it much. You know, hey guys, let's go out and do some blaspheming tonight, you know. You don't really hear that out in the culture, right? And so, so what are we talking about here? Well, the word essentially means to speak in a way that ruins or harms someone's reputation. So really, a, a better modern term for it would be slander. So we are slandering the Holy Spirit. We are slandering his reputation. We are misrepresenting him when we speak of him. And this is a very serious sin. Look what he says in verse 32. He says, he says kind of general, but then he makes it very personal to the Pharisees that he's talking to. He says that whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the coming age. So this is very serious because, beloved, to have a sin that is unforgiven and to enter into heaven with that sin, what does that mean? You go to hell. You face wrath. And so I've heard people teach this before in a way that, well, you know, yeah, you go to heaven, all your sins are forgiven, but this one's not, so you just lose kind of rewards or you lose certain jewels in your crown. No, beloved, to go to heaven with sin is to be separated from God and you don't go to heaven. So this is serious. This is very serious. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, again, we have to look back at the context. Look back, beginning in verse 22, and we're following these themes. Jesus healed this man, and in verse 24, the Pharisees accused him that he is casting out demons by the power of Zavul, which in, by the time of Jesus' day is just another name that they've given to Satan. And so they are accusing him of operating in the power of Satan, and Jesus responds to them in a couple of different ways, but most specifically, let's follow this thematically, in verse 28. What does he say in verse 28? He says, but if by, look at this, if by who? The Spirit of God. So there it's repeated. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then what? then the kingdom of heaven is upon you. It is here. The kingdom of God has come 
upon you. And so like we said last week, that Jesus, by casting out demons and essentially by performing all of his miracles, what is he doing? He is demonstrating that the kingdom of God has come to the world, the effects of the curse are being reversed, and that he is the promised king that he is the one who is to come that we have been waiting for. And he is demonstrating this through the power that is enabled by the Holy Spirit to demonstrate these things, these truths. And the Pharisees look at it and say, no, that's of Satan. No, no, not it, not it. In other words, they were resisting the Spirit. You may remember when Philip gave that sermon that got him stoned. And uh, I've preached some hard sermons before. I don't, I've never been stoned. So, you know, not Philip, Stephen. I'm having trouble with Steve names today, aren't I? So, um, so love you, Steve. So, um, but when Stephen, when Stephen is preaching that sermon and at the end of it, what is the main application? You always resist the Holy Spirit, you and your father's. And so they are resisting the spirit. That's the issue here. And so that's what we're talking about. And the question is, can we do that today? Can we do that today? Can we blaspheme the Holy Spirit today in a way that ensures our ineligibility for salvation and forgiveness well, there are two passages in the New Testament that are central for understanding the role of the Spirit. And they are John chapters 13 through 16 and Romans chapter eight. And we're gonna look at John. In fact, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 16 in your Bibles. And let me just show you, when we talk about the work of the Spirit, this is a this is a central passage for understanding how he works. And I'm not gonna, for lack of time, I'm not gonna exegete it like I would a normal passage, but just to kind of show you the highlights. In verse eight, John 16, eight says, and when the helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, and then he goes on to show what that means. And so John chapter 16, verses seven through 15. So in chapter eight, the first thing we see is that the Spirit convicts. He convicts of sin, he convicts concerning righteousness, he convicts concerning judgment. That's what he does in the world. And then as you look down in verse 14, when the helper comes, what will he do? Remember, this is Christ talking. He says, he will glorify me. He will glorify Christ. In fact, if you look back in just one, I just have to flip the page. Most of you probably don't. But it says in chapter 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, that is the spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, who proceeds from the Father, watch this, he will bear witness about me. And so this is the work of the Spirit in the world today. He convicts of sin and he reveals Christ. He convicts of sin 
and he reveals Christ. And so there's a lot of confusion today. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Some people will say that it is murder or it is suicide. By the way, that's a very popular view that the unforgivable sin is suicide. And, and, let me just, uh, and let me just tell you this. If someone comes to you and asks you, is suicide the unpardonable sin? It may not be the best idea to answer that. It may be better to find them some help, okay? So I just wanna throw that out there. Um, I've been asked that question before. I, I, uh, only about two or three times have I ever answered the question. Usually I start asking other questions. What's going on? You know, what's, how can I help? So, so just something to keep in mind. But other people will say that it's the godly testing of spirits. I've, had, I've been accused of this before. I, I was questioning modern day tongues and somebody said, well, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. First John chapter four, verse one says, test the spirits. We're okay. Uh, it's not when a Christian ignores a prompting of the Spirit. You know, we've all had those moments where we just felt like we really needed to do something when we felt like the Spirit was prompting us to do something and we didn't. That's not what we're talking about, okay? That's not what we're talking about. And I think we can make an argument. We have no, you don't have a divine commentary on those promptings. You don't know if that was the Spirit or if that was last night's pizza, okay? So... So I just, I, you don't have to carry around guilt saying that I resisted the Holy Spirit that day and now I'm afraid I won't be forgiven. That is not what is happening here. That's not what's being talked about here, okay? It is resisting the Spirit's testimony of your sin and it is resisting the Spirit's testimony of Christ. That is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When we resist the Spirit and his testimony of our sin, and when we resist his testimony of Christ. Now, let me ask you this, and I, and I alluded to this a second ago. Where does the Spirit speak today? Where do we hear the Spirit today? I see some of you raising it. Yes, look at, again, we're still in John 16. Look in verses 12 and 14. He's talking to the apostles. He says, many things I want to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. But watch this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Where is that guiding into all truth? Where has that been recorded by the apostles? Right here. And so when the Spirit testifies to our sin through the Word, and when the Spirit testifies to Christ through the Word, and we resist that testimony, we are resisting and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that is unforgivable. You will never find forgiveness for that. You say, okay. We resist that testimony of scripture. We are slandering the spirit. What does that look like today? Well, we don't have to go very far. And I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but look in Matthew chapter 13, the very first parable. What does resisting the spirit look like today? Well, when the word is thrown out for some, they allow Satan to come and grab it immediately. For others, 
They receive it immediately with joy, but it doesn't implant deeply in their hearts. And when the sun comes out, it scorches it and it kills off that harvest. For others, you allow the cares of the world to choke it out, the testimony of the scriptures. You allow Satan to remove it. You don't allow it to implant. You allow the cares of the world to choke it out. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. That is the blasphemy of the Spirit. Not allowing the word to produce a harvest in your life. Not allowing the word to do its work to lead you to Christ. That's the blasphemy of the Spirit. All of these themes are connected. All of these themes, we're following them through the whole argument. That's why we have to see it in context. So, instead, what do we do? We must receive the word. In fact, James chapter one, verse 21 says, receive the implanted word with meekness and you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. And so that's the sin described. That's what it is. It's resisting the spirit specifically his testimony of sin in Christ. And so what does that tell us? What does that confirm? Let's look at what it confirms in verses 33 and 35. It says, either make the tree good or its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And remember, he's, not, he's talking to Pharisees here. You brood of vipers, you offspring of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I want you to understand, look at verse three, that what we are talking about here is not mere words. It's not mere words. Jesus kind of gives this in verse 33, talking about a good tree and a bad tree. It's kind of a proverb, if you will. He's He's going from a warning to giving them a proverb. He says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. The condition of the tree is directly linked to the condition of the heart. In fact, Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, in fact, you know the condition of the, free, the tree by the quality of its fruit. You cannot, you go to a tree and you pick out a piece of fruit and that fruit is bad. You know that at a minimum, that branch has gone bad. And if, it, and if all it's producing is bad fruit, then the entire tree is bad. We had a tree out in our house. We lived in the parsonage in the, and uh, Ryzen, where we came from, and and uh, there's a big maple tree in the corner of the lot, and we kept telling them that you know that tree needs to come down, that tree needs to come down, it's dead. And uh, but it was the maple tree. In fact, the street it was on was maple, and that was the tree that the street was named after. And and nobody wanted to take it down. Well, guess what? One day it came down. There was a big crash in our yard. Thankfully, our kids weren't outside. It was completely hollowed out inside. That's how rotten it was. And it took out a couple of power lines with it. 
So uh, you can imagine what that did for the testimony of the church in the, in the neighborhood when they lost their power on a, on a Sunday afternoon in the middle of July. You can imagine what people were thinking about the church right now. So it was rotten from the inside. It was bad from the inside. There was no way that you can duct tape good fruit on that tree and pretend that that tree is good. You can't do it. The tree is directly linked to the condition of the fruit that comes out of it. And so Jesus makes this personal in verse 34. He says, you sons of snakes, how can you speak good when you are evil? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks That's the only thing that comes out of their mouths. Children of vipers, poisonous snakes. Just like when a snake, a poisonous snake bites you and venom comes out. Every time these religious leaders speak, venom comes out of their mouth. Because that is an expression of their nature. That was who they are. The snake has nothing against you. He bites you and venom comes out because he's a snake and that's what he does. And that's why I hate him and they all deserve to die. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> people, t- people tell me uh, in Arkansas, it's a crime to, uh, to kill a snake unless it um, poses a direct threat to you. If that dude's within 100 yards to me, he poses a direct threat to me. So uh, he did. But <laughs> where was I? So it's, it's a reflection of their nature. It's what they are. They're full of poison, therefore when they open their mouth and bite you, poison comes out. That's exactly what's happening in these Pharisees' life. Just like the tree, the mouth speaks out of the condition of the heart. And beloved, this 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 is the consistent witness of Scripture, that it is by the heart that what all comes out is the expression of the heart. Look in at James chapter three, verses eight through 12. Uh, Again, I can't read it all. In James chapter three, he is talking about the wisdom of the tongue. He says uh, in verse nine, for with the tongue, we bless our Lord, the father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this things ought not be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Just can't do it. Mark chapter seven, verses 21 and 23, Jesus makes this very clear that it is from within, it is from the heart that defiles a person for from the heart comes all kinds of of various sins. And look what he says here. He says, it is from the heart, from within comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander. There it is, there's blasphemy. Pride, foolishness. These evil things come from within. It has to be the heart. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. This is not just the, not just the New Testament. This is also the Old Testament. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all, guard the heart, for from the heart springs all the issues of life. 
And so for any change, any biblical change to happen, it must come from the heart. It must come from the heart. Superficial change will never be enough. It is only skin deep. Beloved, we've been to funerals this week and the funeral home does an outstanding job of putting makeup on the person and making them look like they're asleep. They, they do a very good job of that, but at the end of the day, all they've done is made up a dead body. All they've done is made a dead body look good. He's still dead. In order for genuine, lasting change to take effect, there must be a resurrection. We are dead in trespasses and sins, and no matter how much makeup we try to put on to make ourselves look better, there must be a resurrection. There must be new life. Not just any change will do. Change that is only skin deep will only go that far. And the only way to change the condition of the fruit is to change the condition of the tree. It's the only way. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 10. I think this one's on the board. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Understand that confession must come from the heart. It must come from a new nature. It must come from a, a, a reborn heart, a resurrected heart that is no longer dead and trespasses in sin. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 13. It was a little too long. Uh, actually, I think I have this on the board, don't I? No, of course not. Look at uh, Jeremiah 23 and 13. Or 1323, I'm sorry. 1323. It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to evil. In other words, no more than a leopard can change his spots or an Ethiopian change his skin. You cannot change your heart. I don't know much about gardening, but if you have a bad tree... There's nothing you can do to make that tree good. I don't think so. I'm not a gardener, so I'm not sure about that, but sounds right. Bottom line is, you cannot change your own heart. We are dead. There must be a resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse three. Again, it says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, watch this, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. You must have supernatural birth. There must be genuine spirit-enabled change from our hearts, from dead works to life-giving faith and repentance. There must be a change. And that is the change we all need. If you're here this morning and 
You are someone who has resisted the testimony of the Spirit towards sin and the revelation of Christ. I pray this morning that even now you're beginning to reconsider that the Spirit is moving upon you to think about what you have believed this all this time and that you will consider who Christ is and what he has come to do for you, that he's died for your sins, that he lived the righteous life that you cannot live. He earned the salvation you cannot earn, and he died for your sins, so you do not have to die for them. And he rose on the third day. He's ascended into heaven now. He is offering himself to you as a savior from his wrath to bring you home to God. There must be a change. And if that change is happening this morning, if you are reconsidering, beloved, do not resist it. Let's surrender to it. Consider that Christ is who he says he is and he's accomplished what he says he accomplished. Because we gotta look at not only what it describes, not only what it confirms, but we gotta look at what it ensures. What's the future? What happens? And that we find in verses 36 and 37. It says here, that I tell you, by the way, when Jesus says that, you need to pay attention. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Notice we're still on that theme of speaking, right? Every careless word they speak, they will give an account. But I want you to notice this. He goes from, from kind of general, and then he goes to specific. He goes to you. For by your words, and that is, that is singular, that is individual. If you're using the King James there, it should say, by thy words, that's the old King James singular there. We can't do that in modern language, but, but the King Jim can. By your words, singular, individually your words, by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned for all eternity. He gave us a warning, he followed up with a principle, and now there's one final warning. You will give an account for every word you speak. It is not just merely words about the Holy Spirit now. It's that when we have blasphemed the Spirit, when we, when we resist his testimony, when we say that this is not what it is, that this is not sin, or Christ is not who he said he was, when we are resisting his testimony, then every word that we've ever said will be held accountable. We will give an account. In other words, if you don't get this sin right, every sin will be called to account. If you don't get this correct. You know, there's a, there's a view of the uh, atonement out there that I find it kind of insufficient. I, think it's a, I don't think it's a good one, but you know, the idea is that when Christ died, he basically forgave everyone's sin. There's a, there's a blank slate. And now the only sin you go to hell for is not believing in Christ. That's the sin that sends you to hell. Uh, it's very popular in charismatic groups. I've, I've heard it in Baptist churches. Um, 
I find that to be very insufficient because if Christ didn't cover all your sins, then you gotta work for at least one, right? So you gotta, so beloved, if Christ did not die for all sin, then he is not eternal, he is not infinite. His, his cross is not sufficient. And if there's one exception to the sins that he paid for, then who's to say that there aren't others? And so it's a very bad view of the atonement. But also not only that, I want you to notice what, he, what Jesus says here, that on the day of judgment, he doesn't say that you will, you will hear Okay, all your other sins are accounted for, but you still got this one, and you unfortunately still have this one, so bye-bye. That's not what he says. Every word you will be held accountable for. Every careless word that we have ever said. In fact, if you go to Revelation, it talks about the books are open and all the sins are brought forth. We, we are held accountable for all the sins we have ever committed. There's no blank slate in this regard. And those sins will either be, we will either pay for those sins ourselves by facing the wrath and separation of God, or they will be laid to the account of Christ. That's the only option. That's the only option. And so, you say, Randy, you say, by your words, you will be justified. As, are we talking about work salvation here? No. Think, think of a prosecutor, that when a prosecutor comes to court, he's, he's not making the person guilty. He's not making the person uh, innocent. What's he doing? He's presenting evidence. And that's what this phrase means, by means of your words. In other words, the, the evidence will be presented and you will be condemned or you will be justified because the words are a reflection of the heart. The words are the evidence that the heart is corrupt. That's the issue here. In fact, look at Romans chapter two, verse five. He, Paul talks about those who by their hardness of heart and by their refusal, what are they doing? They are, he uses this terminology, they are storing up wrath because of your hard and impenitent heart. The longer you resist Christ, the longer you resist the spirit, the more you are storing up wrath for yourself for that day. It's kind of like uh, today, we might not say it this way, we might say something like this, you're digging your own grave. You're digging your own hole. You're making your own bed. You're gonna have to lie in it. Stuff like that, that's the idea. Our words demonstrate what is in our hearts and the verdict will be for all eternity. We will either be pronounced guilty or as the word justification means, we will be pronounced righteous. And when we are pronounced righteous, it will be and only by the goodness of Christ on our account. So the question is, is there any hope? Well, beloved, there's lots of hope. There's lots of hope. Because go back to the beginning of this passage. 
You know, we so focus on the we so focus on the uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and what it is. But I don't want you to miss this. Go back to verse thirty one. What does it say? It says that therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Don't just read over that to get to the good stuff. This is the good stuff. This is the hope that every sin, every blasphemy that we've ever committed will be forgiven and can be forgiven in Christ. And beloved, if you have ever been to that point in frustration where you have said things to God you wish you didn't say, if you have ever had that point in your life where you felt very strongly that you were being prompted by the Spirit to do something and you didn't do it, or you were being prompted not to do something and you did it, if you've ever had any of these things and now you carry the guilt of that and the shame of that, you don't have to. Because every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven when you place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Every sin, every blasphemy can be forgiven. Because God has sent his only son into the world to live a perfect and righteous life under his rule in order that he will then go to his cross and pay for all of our sins. And he died on the cross facing God's full wrath and then he rose from the dead and so many people saw him, and then he ascended into heaven, and now he offers himself to you as a savior from all of those sins that you are carrying around with you. You don't have to carry them around anymore. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for full forgiveness. Turn from your sins and submit to him as your new Lord. And you will find new life, beloved. That's how you can have hope. So don't commit the unpardonable sin. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. We saw what it describes. We saw what it confirms. We saw what it ensures. Beloved, simply, if you didn't catch all of that, just simply catch this. Do not resist the Spirit. And if he's convicting you of sin right now, do not resist if he's convicting you of who Christ is and you're thinking it over, do not resist. Do not resist the Spirit. And if you're a believer in Christ, beloved, take heart. Take heart. Because this warning is really not for you. This warning is really not for you. The promise of verse 31 is yours. Every sin. And even blasphemy will be forgiven in Christ. So a couple of things I want to leave you with this morning. Number one, just simply, just, and this is kind of a broad stroke of a brush, but I think it's generally true enough to say it. If you are concerned that you've committed the unpardonable sin, you probably haven't. So it's Okay. If you, are, if you are worried that you have committed the sin, there's a very good chance you probably have not. All right? Especially as a Christian. Christians cannot commit this sin. Remember, what did, what did Paul say? No one in the Spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Beloved, if you have placed your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, then you have the Spirit of God indwelling you. So you don't have to worry. Number two, help someone by explaining what this text is, what it means. If someone, if you come across someone who is concerned about it, just follow the argument like we did this morning and explain it to them. Ease their conscience. And remember what I said about someone asking you, if they ask you directly, is suicide the unpardonable sin? It may not be a good idea to answer that theologically. You, you may need to ask some other questions and find out what's going on there, okay? And then finally, beloved, if you are here this morning and you have stubbornly refused to accept Christ, this warning is for you. And you need to heed the warning. Your life is on the line. Your eternal future is in front of you. And at any given time, we are one breath away from eternity. What answer will you give if this is your last breath? Heed the warning. Make sure that you know Christ. Respond to him in faith and repent of your sins. And if you need to know how to do that, I'll be down here in a second. You can come talk to me. You can talk to um, several in the room. We would love to share with you. We will skip our lunch to share with you how you can be saved. And I pray you won't enjoy your lunch until you get this right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these truths. Father, I thank you that you have rescued us from this sin. I think of all the many testimonies I heard and all the chances I was given, both as a young kid, as a teenager, a young teenager, and how I made fun, how I joked, how I made fun of Christian teenagers and Adults who were praying and pleading with me for my soul. I think of all the times that I joked about them with my friends and just thought it was nothing and thought about how stupid they were. Yet, Lord, you rescued me from that blasphemy, from that slander. And those very ones who prayed for my soul became some of my best friends throughout high school. Lord, that only, can only be done by your grace. Only you can change the heart. And I pray this morning that even now you are changing the heart of someone in this room. I pray even now that they are coming to heed the warning and that they are coming to faith in Christ, that you would draw them to yourself, enliven their spirit, that they may respond in faith so that you will get all the glory from their lives. Lord, we ask all of this now that you would move among us. If there's one here who has been struggling with doubt, there's one here who has had misunderstanding, Maybe there's someone here who knows someone who is fearful of this very thing. Lord, whatever the needs are this morning, I pray that you would see to them, that your spirit would move.
and that your people will be edified and equipped to minister your grace to their friends, family, loved ones, everyone they meet. Let's stand together and I wanna ask you just to reflect, just to bow your heads for a moment and reflect on what all has been said. And again, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with this, if you are here and you need to minister to someone, you just don't really know how, you're here this morning and you've been stubbornly refusing the testimony of, of Jesus and now you're having second thoughts. I'm up here and, and I, I just wanna pray with you and, and give you further counsel if needed. Whatever your need is, we ask you to come.